Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to episode 41 of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by Jack Teeling, the founder and MD of Teeling Whiskey Company. Jack, you're very welcome to the podcast. Delighted to be on. Tough to have you. As usual with guests, go back to the, the very first chapter. You grew up in Clontarf. Have you got any standout or favorite memories from your childhood? <laughs> Good or bad? Lots of different ones anyway. You pick. Uh, <laughs> the first one was I, I went to school quite early. I was sent to school by my parents when I was three years old. We lived on the same street as a school called Holy Fate. And if anyone knows Holy Fate in, in Clontarf, it's now a girl's school. But it was mixed when I went. So uh, I used to be brought down with my older sister. I walked down the road and, and went there. And I suppose my claim to fame was that there was only six boys or seven boys in it. And one of the boys was PJ Gallagher. So I was a comedian. Oh, nice. And uh, he was as mad then as he is now. But I remember crying, didn't want to go in. Didn't like it at all. Uh, and then met by a madman called PJ Carter. So, uh, and it was a nun school and he used to have a, a party trick pulled out of his pants, run out of the toilets and showing everyone. <laughs> Did he have as much energy back then as he has now? Oh, just as much. Exactly the same. He was always trying to entertain and pushing boundaries. So he was, uh, early memories of, of him was just a ball of energy running around the place. <laughs> I don't think he's changed at all. No, nice. You grew up in Dublin, obviously. For anyone who has never been to Dublin, if they could go and spend an afternoon in Dublin, what one thing would you say they should definitely visit? Obviously, our distillery. <laughs> uh, that's uh, you know, your your team. You up nicely for that one. But look, Dublin is, and and again, even for Dubliners, there's parts of Dublin like very few local domestic tourists have have gone and seen. The more I've learned about Dublin Eight and parts of the city. That, as I said, I was born and bred, but we don't, we're not very good at, at, at coming to our own cities and be tourists. Uh, we might go all around the world and, and, and put a lot of effort into what we do, but we found that there's not you know, the same level of interest domestically. Over the last number of years, hopefully it's going to change, but there's lots of hidden parts and so much culture and different things to go and see. So if anyone had a bit of time, especially Dublin 8, the Liberties area, it's, there's so many layers of, of history and stories and characters that were there that you could spend a half day walking around and, and you really will discover something new and interesting. But also even saying the same is out the coast, uh, mm-hmm. be it be around Docky or host, like it's just, it's like another world to be honest with you. And then again, I suppose this is what, what we've learned over the last, I've learned anyway, is to appreciate what's on your doorstep. And there's some amazing beaches and walks and everything like that. There's nearly too much, but you can definitely spend a, 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 a day or two discovering something new around Dublin if you actually take the time and effort to do so. I remember the first time I went to the the coast on Dublin and I fell asleep in the car. I can't remember who was driving and we woke up. This was uh, more than a decade ago. And I thought that legit we were in Spain because I come from a toth. It was flat land and then it was sunny and it was amazing. And I was like, how the hell did we got to Spain and the 30 minute nap I've taken. I know, it's, it's, I agree. And, and, and I'm a north sider. My wife's out from the south sider. But once the recent restrictions, we went out that way. We were walking up around Kleine and talking. I swear to God, it could have been California. It looked <laughs> uh, so exotic. And then even going out to Donabate and places like that. They're just beautiful parts. Uh, lung full of life scaries and all that. So anyway, look, I, I've definitely 
uh, a, a growing appreciation of what's literally on my doorstep here, let alone going outside of Dublin, the west or the south. So plenty of things to discover. Agreed. Sticking with your childhood, before we move on, who do you think had the biggest impact on you, like a young Jack? That's a good question. I would say a couple of people for sure. Obviously, my father was a, a big personality in my life growing up and definitely stimulated my interest in business overall. And I suppose I grew up in the, quite an entrepreneurial environment in, in my family, which has is, got definitely positives and some negatives as well. The roller coaster ride of entrepreneurs uh, can have a, a definitely impact on your family life. But also, fair play to you. Fair play to you for working with him for a while. That's something that deserves a medal. Yeah, I'm sure you probably got asked some questions of that, so I'll talk about that later. But uh, some other people probably um, on my mother's side, her parents, definitely a work ethic. They worked very hard their whole life. My granny, because my mom worked, she was around us all the time. And they were just really good people, very honest, very hardworking, and instilled a lot of the values that I have to this day as well. Mm. Definitely. I'm look my holy sin family, but there, if you're asking anyone that stands out. And my grandfather, he had a shop. His family was called the Shaws, and, and he, he was born very close, actually, where the distillery is in, in Dublin 8. And their family was involved in cutting keys and sharpening saws. He went out on his own from the, the family business um, and set up his own shop. And he had a place up on Sherwood Street where he cut there. And he had all the stories of the, the characters that he came across there. And he worked until he was in his, his 80s. A very strong work every single day. And it was a cyclist and cycled again till he was in his 80s until he, he basically couldn't do it anymore. So anyway, so these are the, the, the characters that forged who I am today. Nice. Shout out to your parents, your granddad. You mentioned the shop. Do you know what that is today? If it's still standing the building? It's, it was a compulsory acquired to develop, uh, uh, let's say, social housing. And there's actually a fruit and veg shop there now. So okay. kind of when I'm driving in to the distillery actually go by and I was just looking at it. I was in there last Friday and I was just looking at it and that just brought back memories of my, my grandfather. Still, can, he's unfortunately passed away a while now, but it does uh, bring back some, some memories. Good to see his memories still live on. Look, I did a bit of research on you and I noticed that you're big into running. You've been on holidays to places like Africa. You've lived in Australia. You're an Irish and Leinster rugby fan. Being from Clontarf, I'm assuming you've played rugby as well. What's one thing that you're into or curious about that not a lot of people know? Yeah, um, let's say I'm only a recent runner. I was, I was rugby. Rugby was my thing. I was forced to play when I was six years old and hated it by my father. And then I loved it ever since. And I played captain, managed, was involved extensively in Clontarf Rugby Club at a social level, nothing too senior or too professional-esque until I was uh, turning 40. And literally, I was a pre-season training and I just said I needed to do something else. I needed a new challenge. I just finished building the distillery and it just felt like the right time I'd achieved as much as I was going to achieve. Um, and I took up running because I was getting fat. <laughs> and I was running and training with all these young fellas and they don't have to do as much running to keep the weight off. And uh, I was... I decided I was either going to embrace the inner fat man when I was going to 40 or do running and I started running and I, I haven't looked back since then. And it's been great for me just with, you know, work and family and everything like that fits around it. It's been great and I've done a couple of marathons and hopefully I can continue well, keeping up. You touched on rugby. What are your thoughts on the uh, recent line squad announcement? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think it's, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Obviously, from an Irish perspective, uh, you would have liked to have seen a couple more 
let's say even bolters I was always uh the line squad you'd always get someone like Keith Earls who was on the outside of the Irish squad coming in and made it exciting and interesting I think that the lines the way they run it now is quite different than years ago it was a long run in and you could get people up to speed and integrate them so they really have to hit the ground running so I think they they picked it on personality and form and people that they knew just to make it as, as easy as they can and unfortunately that probably mm played against us you feel for sexing but like yo as a as an irish and leinster supporter i'm glad that he didn't because it'll probably give him an extra maybe season and um, that he wouldn't have yeah. if he got bashed up when he was over there but look it is what it is i'll enjoy give me something to watch uh would i love to be able to go but i enjoyed the lines i was when i was working in australia actually lines were, were playing at the same time when i got to a lot of the games when i was over there which was a great experience and maybe in three or four years time when they, the, the next one comes around I'll be in a better place to be able to go and enjoy it as well Fingers crossed What's your favourite aspect of being an entrepreneur? Being able to control my own destiny and I think the challenge I always had when I worked for other people was there was a lot of things necessarily outside of your control that 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 you couldn't influence and that prevented you or the business succeeding so I found it was much more liberating to be able to decide everything about be the, the driver and and the sole reason for success or failure uh, mm-hmm. so you don't have to re- rely on everyone else that was at the start but then obviously you have to build your team but you're building it in your model in in what you want to achieve rather than having to cater for a lot of other stakeholders which obviously evolves as you get bigger and bring in shareholders and all that kind of stuff like that but i found that extremely liberating and even to now it's i don't take direction very well <laughs> I, I, I like to make my own decisions uh, mm. and I find it very hard. I'm, I'm actually quite bad at it in terms of managing up. I remember that was the one thing I noticed that I, I, some people are quite good in organization managing up and bringing the you know, 360 world around them together. And I found that I was okay at managing down, but managing up was not really for me. And when I was a managing director of another company of, uh, of Cooley Distillery, I probably did a pretty bad job at managing working with the directors, but maybe that was a per, that was a family issue and that I was, I was fighting. It was this constant tension between, between my father, but uh, uh, there was definitely some learnings there of what I am good at and what I'm bad at. Uh, mm. And I definitely think being an entrepreneur allows me to tap into what I am good at, which is making decisions, hopefully building a team and bringing them along with me. I hope so anyway. <laughs> One thing you did touch on was working with others. And I know that you've worked in uh, banking. What was your favorite aspect of working with others? You can touch on banking. Yeah, look, I think it was the social side of it. I was young. I was out of college. Like I, I finished my degrees and master's when I was 20. So I was still very young. I was probably quite immature, I'll be honest with you as well. And I got the opportunity. I'd say I did a master's in finance. And the only reason I did that because I didn't know what to do. So that's just to be honest with you. I think it's great. Uh, vision of where I was going. I did a, a management BCom or a specialist management in BCom my final year, and lucky I did well enough to get into the financial uh, MBS out in uh, Smurfit. And I did it because I said, well, "What do I want to do?" I said, you know, you got to be able to make money. You need money mm. to be able to do things. So I need to know about money and and, and make some money. <laughs> and that was a great vision. And most people in my class, ninety percent went to London because that's where all the opportunities were. I did. I really didn't want to go. I did one or two interviews over there and made dogs dinner, but I'm not very good at interviews either. <laughs> uh, I'm too, too honest. Probably I don't play the game uh, well enough, but I got an opportunity to get into the, the dealing room in uh, Anglo-Irish Bank and be a trainee dealer initially on foreign exchange. And that really wasn't for me, which was 
looking at creating technical charts on, on, on sterling versus the dollar, all this kind of stuff like that. It just really wasn't uh, for me. I didn't feel like I could find an angle or way to have any insight into being good at it rather than just buying and selling. And you didn't have mm. the flow of information. I just didn't feel like it was set up for success or, or that I could make a career out of it. I always liked equities. And I suppose that came again from exposure I got as a kid. They had also a private banking kind of equity dealing desk. And that's where I ended up. And I, I, I got to say, I enjoyed it. Definitely some of the people I met and, and, and the other people there. It was a social place. It was quite Thursday, Friday night. The car went behind the bar. You got a couple of drinks. It was a lot of young people there. So definitely from that social side of things, I enjoyed it. And I suppose, like anything, it was my real kind of exposure to corporate life. And I say, when you go from college directly into to working, it's always a bit of a disappointment. And it's not what you expect to be really busy all the time and, you know, yeah. flying around. And it's just like, is this it? I remember, uh, like, after around three months, I was like, can I quit now? Can I go? <laughs> and I remember when I was leaving, I think I took it as a compliment. And he goes, they gave me a book about, I was going off to Australia. And he goes, Jack is different. And I, tell you, I took that as a compliment. I, said, I wasn't a born banker. I wasn't in the mold of being a typical private banker or anything like that. And that suited me fine. You seem to have, and I don't know whether it's from all the different roles and experience you've gathered throughout the years, but you seem to have a grasp of what you're good at and what you're not good at. Have you ever done a personality test like DISC to understand what your personality style is, or is it just you learn from making these mistakes and then understanding, I don't like that, I do like this? Yeah, I've done a couple of them. I've been lucky enough to do executive education, and I think one of the most uh, impactful things that I've ever done for me was when I had come back from Australia, I ended up working in Cooley Distillery and with other companies my father was involved in. And I had to make a decision what I was going to do. And I decided that I put myself forward for Enterprise Ireland supported MBS and international business aimed at SMEs. Um, mm. And I, By making that decision, I decided that's what I was going to get into and which was more into the manufacturing, into the, the distilling, into the whiskey business. And I, that gave me exposure to uh, real life learnings aimed at improving the business I was in but also exposure to other, let's say, owner, CEOs, or senior management in SMEs. And, you know, it just opened my eyes that, that I'm, I can do it. Like, I'm, like I, I, was, I, I felt I could live in that and that there was no one on that course or any of these other. We luckily went over to IMD and you've seen very senior managers and you said, well, these guys are no big shakes. No, yeah. we're doing case studies. I'm putting up with more interesting things than MD of Nestle for France or something like that. So it gave me confidence that you could do. And also it opened my eyes realistically to the opportunity for Irish whiskey and what I deemed that you had to do to make a success in that space. So I learned a lot. And I suppose I learned more from that time outside the business, looking into the business and seeing the challenges they had, but also seeing best case examples, doing that case study, all that kind of stuff like that. And applying that specifically to Irish whiskey and the company I was in at that time. So I found it really beneficial. And I went back again with Sport of Borbia and did, what the hell is it called? Uh, another one of these courses when I went back to IMD and did it. And again, it just, I think you can always learn and you can always challenge yourself, but you know, it's also benchmarking. I think it's very good for leaders and, and managers to, to see that, that what else is out there that you can bend you're yeah. equally as good or not better than a lot of these other people that are out there. So have confidence in yourself and confidence in your own abilities and your decision-making ability. And the one thing that, look, I learned is it's, it's all about making decisions and being decisive and, and taking the information you have available, just make the decision and move forward. 
you can go backwards and change the decision. It's momentum, having the ability to do it. And, and as a captain on a rugby pitch, being a manager in a company, being an MD or starting up your own business, it's definitely stood very well for me. And I suppose I got that from working with my father and so forth and the things that, that, that he was good at as well as making decisions. I think you train your brain to able to take as much information you can and then make that. In, in, so you're not just making flipping decisions. Mm -hmm. You've trained your brain by doing all those case studies and all that education, putting yourself in these situations that, that you intuitively process a lot of that information to hopefully lead to the best possible decision with that information that you actually have. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And it sounds like a lot of that courses or things, the programs that you're on gave you the confidence from seeing the big names of the big brands not being any different. In fact, sometimes you having more creative ideas. It's funny because I'm in a, one of the, places I uh, spent some time in is with a company called Sandler Training and uh, the majority of people who are in that space own a franchise and they've bought the franchise but they've spent a decade, two, three decades working at large companies and they'd be incredibly senior titles at these huge companies and then they buy a franchise and work for themselves and it's almost as if the two or three previous decades they were living off the brand because once they work for themselves very few people make it and my definition of making it in that world is winning an award for earning over, I'd say, half a million a year. Very few people make it into that category. So it just shows that a lot of those big wigs are, uh, without sounding rude, but saying it straight up, they are surviving on the brand of the company they work with rather than them themselves. Yeah. That said, you seem to invest a lot in yourself. You mentioned BCom at UCD. You also did finance at UCD. You went to TCD and did international business, IMI, leadership. Are there any books, podcasts that you listen to continue to invest in yourself? That's a, that's a good question. It's probably something I should do more of. I think what, what, what happened is life got very busy for me, I suppose. It's probably slowing down a little bit you know, over the last year or two because you're a different stage in evolution of family life, but also business and so forth. I used to do a lot more than I do now, which is, which is not good. That would be something that, that I need myself to do. Yeah, I would continue to chip away on... on on business books and I do a lot of, of, of reading. I, again, trying to keep up with, with trends is, is key for me. Understanding what our target demographic is evolving to, which is, it, it's hard because it's not really attract, you know, stands for being business because it's quite live if you're, and obviously the last year has been all over the place, but no, I've been um, chipping away with uh, a couple of podcasts when you have time working from home and so forth. It does give you a little bit more flexibility to do it, but I definitely could do more. And I do think that, that you, you go through these ebbs and flows. And I, I feel now it's probably another opportunity to, to reassess and say, okay, where, I, where am I in my journey? And what do I need now to get myself right to do yeah. it? And I've been lucky enough, I've been on the Entrepreneur of the Year network that uh, the EI have, or EY have, sorry, Ernst & Young. And, and they do a lot of retreats and different things like that to to. I suppose, it work on the owners and the MDs and so forth. Because normally you work on the business. And I suppose I've been very conscious of investing in my people and my team over the last number of years, rather than myself, which is something different. Which is, so a lot of uh, like our, our finance directors in the middle of an MBA, a lot of our senior managers have gone through executive education and second level now in terms of the, the middle managers, we're trying to bring them on and all. So I've been focusing more on building the capabilities of the team in a way, neglecting myself, which is in a way, it, it, looking at it now and asking that question, it's, it's wrong. And definitely, I suppose I've been doing bits with that EY Entrepreneur of the Year Network, but there's definitely more for me 
and I do think yeah, sometimes it's good to challenge yourself as well and, and go totally out of your, your comfort zone and do something else. So for me, because I've done the MBS and all that sort of stuff and MBAs, I've looked at them all. I, I need to find something else that would really challenge me and upskill me to allow us to keep the journey with the company going because everything else, we're at a different stage now of where we are in startup mode. Hopefully we're at scale mode and it does require different skill sets. And am I the best person to do that for, for the next five or 10 years? Who knows? I am at the moment because there's no one else. But, you know, there's definitely uh, uh, different skill sets involved at different stages in your journey with a startup or anyway in life. And I'm at a stage now, mid-40s, that I do need to probably look at myself again. You touched on Australia. I have to, I have to ask, out of, out of interest, I lived in Perth for a year. What part of Australia did you live in? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If I was doing it again, I'd do it differently. And, and the reason why is I went, so I, in a way, it was a way to escape the career I ended myself in. I said I was still young. So I was quite young, as I said. So I was probably around 23, 24. And I suppose I wanted to go with a specific group of friends. And I wanted to go with my school friends, but not my college mm -hmm. friends, school friends. The problem with them is a lot of them had repeated their leaving cert and only finished college. So they were coming out at a different stage in their journey. I and mean, I'd already been working a couple of years and it was, I was doing okay and uh, had got used to that. So we went and, and, and they were like, oh, they, you know, let's get a job. And then they got a job and it was like, oh my God, it's a real job. I have to like go to bed at nine o'clock because I'm wrecked and all this. So the, the Australian experience was interesting. We worked, I lived in Sydney lived in North Bondi of all places and really just worked for a good few months. And I worked in insurance industry. I worked in um, finance and really, I suppose the skill sets I had at that time. And, and I did it for like basically six months and I was there for the winter and it was winter. So I was, it was like, I was back at home, except I was going to work in the dark, coming home in the dark. I was like, why am I doing this? I'd left my girlfriend at home. I left a good job and I was earning less money. I had all my friends who were like, in shock because they were actually working so they weren't keen on doing too much they just wanted yeah. to as well but then it was when i got the chance to travel and i traveled for a good while around australia really i really enjoyed it and i traveled some of it with my girlfriend who was doing her acca exams she finished them she came over for six weeks and we traveled for six weeks and then i traveled with my friends and then i traveled my own and i thought that traveling on my own was a very interesting experience and i really got a lot out of that because it, again it challenged me to get out of my shell and your group of friends and the Irish network and all that. And, mm. you know, met a whole group of people from all over the world and, and went to Kakadu National Park and all the way down the middle. And I was in Adelaide and I went to Tasmania and then I went to New Zealand and then I came home. So I had a great kind of mixture of a lot of different experiences. But I came back really in a good, positive frame of mind. I could do anything. And I suppose that's how I ended up following my, my father and working with him. Because as I said, if, I, if I'd done it, a year previously, before I went to Australia, there's no way it would have gone that route. I went to Australia mainly for winter. I did about nine months there. And then when I came home, I started working with my father and then left my father. So we've lived somewhat similar <laughs> lives there. It's strange because as you were talking, I was like, this sounds like me. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you've come up against challenges in your life, but focusing, let's say, on the last 18 to 24 months, What's one challenge or objection that you've come up against and that you didn't expect or account for? And how did you tackle it? Over the last 18, 24 months, is it? Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, try and think. Obviously, look, it's, there's obviously the elephant in the room of coronavirus and all the implications of that. But in fairness, I think we managed that qu quite well, despite the, the shock 
of all the implications there of going from a business that was very much office-based, right beside the still integrated into working remotely and for business, that large percentage of your business being in bars, duty freeze, all, all those challenges disappearing on you yeah. for you to, to literally have to pivot totally into different strategies. And look, we were lucky enough that a lot of the things we'd done years before that had set us up nicely to be able to take advantage of and we managed to do it. And what looked like a, a, a dreadful year turned into a reasonably a reasonable year and it's starting off well this year but look i think the hardest thing always and look i I've, I've said it many times i'm sure a lot of people would say it on all your podcasts is that the, it's challenged with people and individual people and problem people or people who have challenges and challenges created by the work environment that, that you're, you're in and it's i always find that's the hardest thing and and trying to either manage people out or deal with very specific personal situations for staff can definitely keep me awake at night more so than other things because the people side of things are very hard to control <laughs> it's yeah, a wild card sure. it really is and we don't have a hr department it's we're not we're too small an organization for that so a lot of these things come directly on your doorstep and it's it can take up a lot of time and energy and look we try our best and lucky enough we haven't had too many issues it was like one there was an accident in the workplace for example and i took it very personally in terms of i felt like it was a, a cause by by lack of supervisory and wasn't it was something outside of our control it was one of these kind of unusual situations and uh, but like it, it stays with you and you, you, you can sometimes struggle to 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 find a solution in the short term but i think if you do the right thing for the person and the right thing for the business you'll come hopefully out the right side and lucky enough most of the things that we've managed the challenges that i've been trying out from the hr side of things we've managed to deal with as best we possibly can what continues to drive you? I'm, I'm quite a competitive person and it's different. It changes like, you know, building something, building a distillery, we're building a brand. And I think that for me, is, there's always a continual challenge around that. There's no end goal really. It's, it's just the requirements change as you change, industry change, and you have to be quite fluid in what you do. So, so the, the challenge for me is that we are as, we are as good as we possibly can be and we don't leave anything behind. Um, and if we don't succeed, at least we've given it everything. I'm, I'm quite hard on, on myself and it probably gets reflected on, on, on how I celebrate success and different things like that, because it's like one thing, one thing's done, I want the next thing. It's always a boom, man. I'm always ahead of it. So it's, I know it's going to happen. So even when it happens, then I'm already thinking about something else. I think you have to have that, but you do need to have uh, ability for the rest of the organization to be able to breed as well. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, you can burn everyone out. So I think that's something that we, we need to be aware of. For example, we're allowed to reopen the, the distillery. I'm like pushing really hard and let's do it. We have to do as best we possibly can and get the place looking really good and like, you know, stop doing this. And then I suppose I need to reflect that the guys have been working their arses off trying to virtually run the place through events or different things like that. And now all of a sudden you're throwing this back at them. It takes a while for them to reset and go again. So I'm, you have to empathize at the same time. So you understand yourself, but I suppose I'm running an organization. I've got a team of people I have to be responsible for. So I need to empathize and understand there as much as me. So I might have very high demanding elements of it. And I can strive down the business, but at the same time, you need to understand everyone's not wired the same way as me. And you have to try your best to do And sometimes I succeed, sometimes I fail. But when will I be happy? with teal and whiskey when i ever have when coolie was sold some people would say that's success i didn't because i didn't feel like it was finished okay we got to exit big deal but i didn't feel like we, we we necessarily exited at the top but is there ever a top was there 
there's always more that you can there's more left in the tank in my mind anyway it's it's hard to feel like any anything is you've really reached your maximum potential there's always more if you ask me yeah I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that statement and it's hard to know when you're at the top because it can look good but who knows if you climb a bit higher as a view better two final questions I don't know who you live with but pretend that all your loved ones are safe and your house is burning down what one item would you save if you could only save one Oh, I don't know. I'd, I'm not very. I literally let it all burn. I wouldn't really care to be honest with you. <laughs> so, to be honest with you, you can replace items. I'm not that sentimental with regard to things from childhood or pictures or collect bottles of whiskey and all that sort of stuff like that. But if they were going and the house was on fire, I'm still there. Uh, I was, do you know what? I like that. You know, my, 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 the sad thing was, I'd say my phone. I was just like, that's how sad I am. But like, you get a new phone as well. But uh, as you said, I, I, there's only possessions. And as I said, I'm not that sentimental. Uh, I suppose. The, I'm, gonna say so, no, I was just going to say that this is the 40th episode. And I would say 36 out of 40, I've said their phone or their laptop. Yeah, so, I know. It's pretty sad. <laughs> So, yeah, so, so you could phone the, uh, <laughs> the fire, fire brigades come, but no, look, as you said, it's uh, once your family's out, like you can build mm-hmm. a house again, you can you know, buy new things. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an easy one for me, just let it burn. The only other two were a coffee machine and a family photo album, were the only other two that weren't photo or laptop. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I said, I'd hope that uh, if there was any photos that we'd have, that we'd be able to, to get them reproduced as well. But anyway, yeah. uh, that's just me. That's, hey. it's, it's maybe it's a reflection of, of my personality. Not at, not at all. Most things are on the cloud nowadays anyway, and I'm even photographs and videos. I want you to imagine it's the end of the decade, so it's now 2030, and you're looking back on the last 10 years. What would you like to be looking back on? You can answer this personally or professionally. I would say both. I would like to say that... Professionally, we've made uh, a meaningful, I say, positive effect on the evolution of the Irish whiskey category, and we proved that there is a future for independent distilleries and other Irish whiskey brands, and create this vibrant category with a lot of breadth and choice, so that us as Ireland's Inc. and the country and our industry has been able to take advantage of the opportunity that's there. And I suppose, look at the core of setting up the business. That's really what I wanted to do. It takes time, and I think mm-hmm. by twenty thirty, I believe. Irish whiskey will be in a very, oh, be a probably it'll be a mature state, solidified as a growth engine, value added for for Ireland. And, and I want Teeling whiskey to be at the forefront of that. We can't do it all ourselves, but we want to be able to, to have proven that the opportunity is there and that we started the journey for other people and they can take inspiration. Personally, I'd hope to still be running, <laughs> still married to my wife. I suppose I have, have, have enough time to be able to enjoy my, my kids, my three daughters, and make sure that they're happy and uh, doing what they wanted to do. And if I have that, then I think that's a major result. For sure. Look, Jack, it's, it's been a pleasure chatting to you for the last 30, 40 minutes. I hope that you are still running in a decade from now and you, you get to spend time with your wife and, and three daughters and that your business continues to thrive. So from my end, thank you very much for the last 40 minutes. No worries, Reen. Thank you. Beautiful morning, beautiful sunrise.